The word of the Lord from Acts 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained to them in order. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Thanks, Tess. Good morning. Last summer, Jeannie and I were traveling, and we were getting on an Eastern European airline at one point, where we were about to board, and the person standing at the gate looked at our passports, looked at our luggage, carry-ons, and said, you can't take that on board. American size. American size. Now, Jeannie and I had purposely taken small carry-ons so that we wouldn't get into this kind of trouble. And I looked at our carry-ons, and I looked back in the line, and ours were smaller than most of the people's behind us. And I said, ours are smaller than theirs. And she said, no, American size, and you have two. You know, we had backpacks, she had a little purse. And, and I looked back, and pretty much everybody had two. And I said, well, they all have two, too. And she said, no, American size, you have to check these, you have to pay $50, and you cannot carry them on board. And at that point, I knew that I wasn't going to win this argument. <laughs> so we, we let her check them. It was, it was strange because she just looked at our passports and concluded some things about us, it seemed. And I know what I felt like at that point was, wait a minute, this is unfair. And I felt powerless to do anything about it. And for me, it was just a tiny taste that, of something I've experienced very rarely in my life, being an American and fairly privileged, and that's prejudice. She looked at our passports and determined some things about us and treated us accordingly. She prejudged us. I, I don't know what's happened in her life. She probably ran into some Americans that were obnoxious or whatever. I don't know. But I do know she prejudged me and treated me accordingly. And yet it made me realize how often we do the same thing. <laughs> we prejudge people. We see a characteristic about them and we make a decision about them and treat them accordingly. And what I've come to realize is that when we do that, we violate their humanity. More than that, we violate the very image of God in them. And as we see in our passage today, we actually get in the way 
of what God is doing to bring reconciliation to the whole world, to himself. In Acts chapter 11 today, the passage that we're looking at, Peter retells the story of his meeting Cornelius, going into this Gentile's home, and Peter's mind was changed about Gentiles. His prejudices are being broken down. But God's not satisfied with just breaking down Peter's prejudices. (laughs) So in our passage today, as he retells the story to the church in Jerusalem, God is working to break down their prejudices as well. You see, they hold deep prejudices against the Gentiles, against non-Jews. And God must break down those prejudices if the gospel is to go beyond the church in Jerusalem and impact the entire world, which was God's plan from the very beginning. And if we hang on to our prejudices, we're standing in God's way. So we've got to learn to let go of those so that we can be used to help grow His kingdom. And I think today's passage can help us get beyond our prejudices. So let's pray and we'll look at it together. Heavenly Father, Your heart is clearly for all the world. You love every person that You created. You knit every person together in their mother's womb. And you love each one and you died for each one so that they could be reconciled to you. Lord, we don't want to stand in your way. We don't want to block what you want to do in us and through us. So today, let this passage be used of you to move us beyond our prejudices. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, let's look at the presence of prejudice. The presence of prejudice Notice verse 1, again, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now, at this point, they could have responded with, Yahoo! (laughs) The gospel's going forth. God's doing a wonderful thing. But notice what happened. It says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised party criticized him. Let me stop there. I don't think that's a great translation. Literally, it's those who were circumcised stood against him, criticized him. And think for a minute about the church in Jerusalem who was circumcised. Everybody. (laughs) They were all of Jewish background. Therefore, I think everybody was struggling with what Peter had done, and they could not put it together in their minds. And so it says they criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. You see, when he showed up, they'd heard about this, the word got to him, and they were loaded for bear. I like that expression, by the way. (laughs) It means that, man, they were armed and they had way more firepower than they needed to blast him when he walked through the door. Because he was messing with their entire sense of identity their entire theology, their entire sense of who they were as a country, as a nation, as the people of God. For a first century Jew, their whole perspective was, yeah, life's hard, yeah, we're oppressed by the Romans, whatever, but at least we know who we are. We are God's chosen people, and they are not. God called us out of the world through Abraham and on. And so their sense of prejudice, prejudging the Gentiles, was based on their theology, 
It was based on their nationalism. It was based on their personal sense of identity, of who they were. And, by the way, note that being in Jerusalem as the early church, as long as they were kind of connected with the Jewish population, they were probably relatively safe from persecution. But if they were going to start reaching out to Gentiles, if this stuck, what Peter was doing, that would threaten their whole way of life in Jerusalem. That would put them against the Jewish leaders. You see, the early church there was emphasizing certain parts of the Bible, the parts that were God's chosen people, God called us out, He formed us into a people, etc. But they were ignoring the Bible's emphasis on the fact that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. From the very beginning of them being formed as a nation, when God called Abraham, remember, He called him out of Haran, and, and He said, be a blessing, He commanded him. And I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Everybody. No matter what their skin color, what their background, what their religion, whatever it might be, you are to be a blessing to all the world. And God's program for reaching all the world was fully initiated when Jesus lived, died, and rose again and made it clear that God's heart is for all the world now. For everybody, not just the Jewish people. It's for everyone. But these early Jewish Christians were having a hard time accepting that. They were so steeped in this idea that their identity came from being the chosen people of God that they were really having a hard time getting beyond that. They'd kind of set up a checkpoint for God and said, God, you're not going past this. They got in God's way. Now, in one sense, I don't blame them. You know, they were doing what comes naturally to every one of us as human beings. Every one of us tends, as human beings, to try to get our identity by comparing ourselves, judging other people, saying, well, they're like that, and at least I'm not like that, and, and oh, wow, I kind of feel bad about myself because I'm not as skinny as that person, or whatever it might be. We, we get our identity from prejudging other people. That's what prejudice is, prejudging. It's natural for us. We each have an implicit bias, ways we judge others, and we often are not even aware of it. Well, obviously, that person's a Gentile. They're not one of us, so I can separate myself from them. Obviously, that person was not born in America, so, you know, they're, they're one of those. They're different. I can separate myself from that person. She wears a hijab, a head covering, clearly a Muslim, so I separate myself. The key word in this passage is used twice. First time in verse 2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. That word there, diakrino in the Greek, means to look at someone judge them, prejudge them for some characteristic they have, and then separate yourself from them because of that characteristic. That's what the early church was doing to Peter. He was one of their own, but he's like, you ate with Gentiles, therefore, because of that, we're separating ourselves from you. 
It's used in classical literature to describe the separation of a flock of goats, of sheep, where you say, that one's in, (laughs) that one's out. That one's in, that one's out. That one's in. You know, we make choices and we decide who's in and who's out. That's this word to prejudge, to look at the differences and separate because of that. And they were doing this to Peter. Well, if this is all natural for all of us, and we maintain our identities this way, then, then what's wrong with it? Notice when it's used again, the same word in verse 12, where Peter is talking and he says, And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Same word. Not prejudging. He's called to go with these Gentiles, and notice what happens. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. So God, through the Holy Spirit, tells Peter, don't prejudge. In fact, go into this man's house, which is a complete violation of your theology, a complete violation of your culture. Go into, into his house. Stop prejudging and letting that separate you from someone else. And notice verse 17, as Peter concludes his speech to them, he says this, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? (laughs) God's saying, if you maintain your prejudices, you separate yourself from someone else based on some characteristic that you see. You are actually standing in God's way. You and I, when we do that, are violating the gospel. Because what is the gospel? It's the gospel of reconciliation. God's arms open wide to welcome all people. And when we separate ourselves, we actually are violating the very gospel of reconciliation ourselves. Sin separates. The gospel reconciles. Now, you may be like me, and, you know, I I look at passages like this, and I go, well, you know, I'm a really nice guy. I'm not prejudiced. (laughs) Not like some people, not like they are. (laughs) I have felt that way. But then I began to see all the ways that I (laughs) and we prejudge other people. Now, many, I think, look at a Muslim, for example, and say, you know, they have, you can't really trust them because they have ulterior motives to take over America. We think about gays and we think, you know, they have an agenda too and you can't really trust them and, you know, they're weird anyway and whatever, you know, we think these things. It's easy for some of us to look at a black person and think, well, I just need to be a little suspicious A lot of crime is committed by blacks. What we're forgetting is that by far and away, most crime is committed by whites, (laughs) by the way. I know I'm starting to step on toes, but I think the scripture wants us to wrestle with this. I know I've had to. We look at people who have been incarcerated for various reasons. They may have murdered somebody. They may have stolen. They may be sex offenders, registered sex offenders, and And we just think, you know, I I just need to separate myself a little bit, keep myself safe here. We respond in fear. 
Let me say to you, some of the most godly people I have met in my life have come out of incarceration, found Jesus, have been transformed. They know their sinfulness. They know they need Jesus, and they are godly. Why would we separate ourselves from them? Someone who chose abortion sometime in their lives, we can look down on. A drug addict, poor people. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Now I really am going to step on your toes. Some of us in this room prejudge someone who might have voted Democrat and think, boy, I can't imagine that. I can't really have fellowship with them. Some of you in this room look at someone who voted for Donald Trump and think, I can't imagine that. How could I have fellowship with somebody like that? That's prejudging another person. Oh, that person's a millennial. <laughs> I've, I've read all the books about them, so I know what they think. I know who they are. I apologize to all the millennials out there because I think I've done that, and I'm sorry. We so easily prejudge one another, and we put people in categories and boxes. She's overweight, so I make all kinds of assumptions about her because of that. I mean, I I could go on and on, right? But I'm sure you don't want me to. (laughs) Richard Beck, in his book, Stranger God, which is a very fascinating book, by the way, and he's coming to speak in a couple weeks in Boise. Richard Beck writes this, As Americans who pride ourselves on success and self-sufficiency We're nauseated by neediness and dependency. Worse, we moralize it. We heap moral cooties. Yeah, you remember cooties, right? (laughs) We heap moral cooties upon the needy. Not only is it shameful, but you're a bad person if you are poor. Let's be honest. Haven't some of us thought that way? You see, we find out a detail about a person and we categorize them and we separate from them. That's prejudging. That's diacrino because of it. John Sutt says it pretty strongly where he says, the same ugly sin of prejudice or discrimination has kept reappearing in the church in the form of racism, color prejudice, nationalism, my country, right or wrong, tribalism in Africa, casteism in India, social and cultural snobbery, or sexism, discriminating against women. All such discrimination is inexcusable, even in a non-Christian society. It's inexcusable. But in the Christian community, it is both an obscenity because it's offensive to human dignity and it's a blasphemy because it's offensive to God who accepts without discrimination all who repent and believe. Like Peter, we have to learn that God does not show favoritism. So what should our community look like? What should a church look like? What should this kingdom of God that we are learning to walk in, what should characterize us? What should we look like? We should look like Jesus. 
who reached across barriers, who reached out to Gentiles, who reached out to a harlot and a Samaritan woman, who we should be people who minimize those superficial differences, who don't prejudge because we don't have to get our identity from that because our identity is in Christ. We are children of the living God. He's redeemed us. We've received his reconciliation. We have new life in him. And so I don't have to get my identity from putting you down. I can get my identity from him. Therefore, I can look at you and every other person I meet, every other person I see, as someone who, bottom line, is created in the image of God, knit together in their mother's womb by the God of the universe just the way he wanted them. That there's someone who Jesus came and died for that person who has been broken by sin but can be reconciled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, when we begin to look at every person that way, that's the bottom line, then all the other stuff doesn't really matter, does it? Who cares if they wear a hijab? Who cares what, if they're making bad choices morally? Of course they are. They're broken and they need Jesus. You see, we can look at other people differently, that they're deeply loved by God. And, and if they're believers in Jesus Christ, then it doesn't matter who they are. They're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are one in him, and all that superficial stuff doesn't matter. So if prejudice is so bad that God spends much of the book of Acts in the next few chapters breaking down the prejudice of the early church because it was holding back the gospel, it was standing in God's way, as God's trying to root it out of the early church, how can we change? What can we do to begin to get rid of this prejudice that's controlled us. Well, let's look at how God rooted that prejudice out of the early church, how he purged the prejudice in the early church. I want to highlight just four steps I see what God's doing. First is, is that Peter listened to God. Peter listened to God. He looked at what God was doing, and he listened to him, and he envisioned God's heart for all. Remember in the story of Cornelius, God gave him a vision. Let me just read a little bit of that. Verse 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And I heard a voice skipping ahead a little bit, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, no, by no means, Lord. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. Peter listened to the voice of God. And God gave him a vision, a vision which blew his mind, expanded his vision of who God is. You see, we need that too. We need to envision a God who's bigger, who has bigger arms than what we tend to think, a God who could actually save Gentiles, a God who could save everyone and wants us to welcome them in. Some of us had a, have a hard time envisioning God could love a Muslim as much as he loves me or you. But when we begin to look at God's heart for all, it can expand our vision. And we can imagine how great God's love really is, that 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that God's love is that big. Everyone is made in God's image. Jesus died for every person on earth, no matter who they are. That person that I may feel a natural disgust towards is deeply loved by God and carries the image of God in them. And Jesus died for them. And so as we let this vision of who God is begin to expand our thinking, that's the beginning step for Peter and for us as well to begin to break down our prejudices. And part of it is giving our fears to God because it's often fear that causes us to prejudge. Second step, befriend. Befriend. Peter obeyed God by stepping out to build a relationship with those he had prejudged before. Notice verse 11. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. Wow, that was against Peter's theology. That was against... Common sense in that day, Jews don't go into a Gentile's house, makes you unclean, but Peter went. He befriended, he went into their house. He had to step out of his comfort zone to personally connect with them. We will never overcome our prejudices until we actually meet people face to face, begin to befriend them, and begin to see who they are, and honor their humanity by hearing their story and learning to love them as they are. Richard Beck again says, we welcome people into the circle of our affections when we unconditionally embrace their humanity before we sort, judge, or evaluate them by any other criteria or standards. To welcome them into our circle of affections, to begin to honor them as created in the image of God. Personally, I just want to share some of my own personal journey in this because I'm on a journey just like you. I saw that I was prejudiced, that I prejudged gays, and in particular, those with AIDS. And so God prompted me to go to the annual AIDS vigil here in Boise. This occurs on December 1st. I've gone several times, several years. And as I showed up, I, I met people like Steve and Tom. Steve and Tom were, one, Steve had, was taking 36 pills a day for his AIDS, trying to just survive. Tom took 23 pills a day. And as I heard their stories, I heard their stories of pain and struggle and the difficulty financial struggles, all that they were dealing with, trying to survive in life and feeling rejected by all kinds of people. And especially, they expressed the heartfelt pain of being rejected by church after church, Christian after Christian. And they wanted to know God. They expressed that to me, and they could not believe <laughs> that I, a pastor, was there. Their hearts were broken. Another year, I met John, John who had just lost a loved one to AIDS, John whose heart was broken, and he cried tears as he said, I miss him so much. 
You know, as you hear stories like that, you begin to realize in all the ways that matter, we're the same. In all the ways that matter, we're the same. We all long for love. We all long for wholeness. We all long for life. I saw that I was prejudiced against Muslims. I've met a few, but it's been so good being involved with Glocal, Nick and Laura, and having the opportunity to go to peace feasts and go to the Islamic Center and go to picnics and events and just get to know people like Zohar and Huma, people like Didiri and Fatima and Q and John, and hear their stories, hear their stories of how they have fled difficult circumstances, several of them, how they've been refugees, how their lives have been torn apart by terrorism, how even in this country as they've struggled to make life work, they've experienced persecution, prejudice, discrimination right here in our community. And as I heard their stories, God gave me a love for them and a compassion for them. And let me just confess, I am so sorry for my prejudices and how they have separated me from others. If we're going to break down our prejudices, we need to learn to befriend, step across boundaries into the lives of those we've been prejudiced against. It's not enough to just think, oh yeah, I feel okay towards them. Third, we need to let the Word shape our thinking. This is not just, you know, social action. This is the Word of God. And Peter applies the words of Jesus to his situation. Listen to verse 15 and 16. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the Word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter says, I remember when Jesus was talking. And what happened here is something he told us would happen to believers, all believers. You see, when we begin to let the Word begin to shape our thinking and start looking, is this true? Does God want us to cross those barriers? Is this really essential to the gospel? As I've searched the Scriptures and looked, and we start looking for God's heart for all the world, you begin to see it everywhere. (laughs) That that's been God's plan from the beginning is to expand the gospel to everyone. There's passages that talk about God is impartial. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus died for all, that all might be saved. We are blessed to be a blessing. Genesis 12, and on and on. It's all there. It's all through the scriptures. The word of God is a living word, and that's why we need to let the word begin to shape our thinking and shape our hearts and expand our view of who God really is. It has the power to transform us. And so look for it in the word, God's heart for the world, so that Romans 12, 2 can be true for every one of us. Do not be conformed to the world, which is natural for us to prejudge but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let God expand your mind. And let me say very clearly, you do not have to violate your convictions to break down your prejudice. 
Sometimes we fear that. Uh, I don't want to give up my doctrinal purity. You don't have to. <laughs> you just have to let God work and expand your view of what he wants to do in your life. Fourth, what I see the early church does is they embrace a new perspective. They embrace a completely new perspective. I, I'm amazed, verse 17 and 18, Peter finishes the story. If then God gave them the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And how's the early church going to respond to this? When they heard these things, they fell silent. <laughs> I love that. No more arguments. Nothing more to say. And they glorified God, saying, well, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. I think this is one of the greatest miracles in the book of Acts, <laughs> that the early church actually embraced what Peter said and said, wow, God's so much bigger than I thought. It's amazing that they accepted what he said. They quit arguing and they allowed God to challenge their own prejudices and change their thinking. Uh, believe me, they had to be stunned by what they were hearing. I mean, stunned. This, this is a different worldview. But if we let God break down our biases, it changes us, and it leads us to see God more fully for who he is. Because, listen, brothers and sisters, we have our biased, prejudiced views of God as well. We think God has to fit in this little box and God, you need to stay right here and that's the way you work and what God wants to do is blow our minds and realize how much bigger he is. Wow. God's love, God's grace is so much bigger than I ever realized. In fact, in the Christian life, we should regularly, I think, be saying things like, wow, God is so much bigger, greater, more loving, more gracious, more holy, more righteous than I ever realized. We should be expanding our view of God regularly, and if we're not, then I guess we should really question whether we're getting to know God any better or not. Because as Isaiah 55 says, my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Higher. And, this, you know, his thoughts are so much higher. And so the more we're getting to know him, the more it's going to expand our view of his incredible character. And they ended in worship. I love that. It says they glorified God. See, once they let go of their biases, their relationship with God went so much deeper and they worshiped him because they saw how great he was. They ended in worship because they saw an amazing God that was so much bigger than just loving the nation of Israel. He loved the Gentiles as well. And when we begin to reach across boundaries and befriend others and care for them and let God break down our prejudices, we get a bigger view of who God is and our worship deepens. As we begin to step out, to give up our prejudices, to envision how great God's love is, to begin to befriend and, and look at how the Word teaches God's heart for all. And as we begin to embrace this new perspective, 
We begin to love those who we've condemned in the past. God will use us to truly be the church who welcomes all, and he will be worshipped for it, and he will get the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is such a challenging passage, but it reveals so well your heart for all the world. And yet how prejudiced the early church was. And Lord, if we're honest, we are the same way. We are prejudiced. We separate ourselves from others. We prejudge others. Lord, use this passage. Use your word by the power of your Holy Spirit to help us be the church. Be the church that expresses your wide open arms, reaches across boundaries, gives up our prejudices, and shares the gospel of reconciliation with all. By the way we live, by the way we love, by the way we talk. And Lord, as we now turn to take communion together as your people who have been called out to be your sons and daughters, as we now are your community together, may we together Praise your name for being a God of reconciliation. That you have reconciled us to yourself and now you want us to be reconciled to others. We give you praise for giving up your life for us, Lord. We could never have reconciled ourselves to you, but you've done it for us. It's the greatest news. May we be people who live out, who are instruments of your reconciliation. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.